Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. In Christianity, all those barriers and walls and division and stuff, torn down by the gospel. Whether it's gender issues between is a man more important or more valuable than a woman, or is this this ethnicity more important than this other ethnicity? The gospel and really Jesus coming and dying on the cross and raising from the grave, he obliterated those walls. And he says, Christianity equals this. You're a new creation. Do you feel stuck in a rut? Are you trying to get rid of the things in your life that are dragging you down, but you just can't seem to make it happen? Well, today, Pastor James wants you to know that through Jesus, you can be made a new creation. Let go of the burdens that are holding you back and give it all to Him. You'll never be able to save yourself. It's only through Jesus that you can wash yourself clean from your past. Stop tying your worth to your failures and follow Him to everlasting life. Now, here's Pastor James in the book of Esther, chapter 1, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. The writer of the book of Esther most commonly thought to be probably Mordecai. And the reason why they think it's Mordecai is because Esther is definitely written by a Jew who had to have lived within that region. And Mordecai is probably the best case scenario concerning that. So you got Mordecai, who's probably the writer of this, who is related to Esther. We'll, we'll see that later on, specifically in chapter two. The time frame for Esther is around 483 or I'm going to say the events of this story, 43 to 473 BC, and that's during the reign of uh, King Xerxes or Ahasuerus. Um, the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem and the temple, you know, they destroyed the temple. We just went through the book of Daniel, and so we covered some of that, but that was in 586 BC, okay? 538 BC, Babylon is defeated by Cyrus the Great, the king of Persia. We knew that was going to happen because of the prophecies and the dreams that Daniel had, the visions and everything. 537 BC, and if you don't know BC, you're working backwards, okay? Because if you're like, well, I think we're going in the wrong order. Um, no, it's, it's backwards. Then you get to zero, okay? Um, 537 BC, Cyrus decreed that the Jews could return to the homeland. Zerubbabel and Joshua, the high priest, not Joshua from the book of the Bible, but a different Joshua, they lead back a small remnant to Jerusalem, okay? That's one of the first departures from Babylon and that region, okay? Esther takes place during chapter 6 and 7 of Ezra. So that's what most scholars believe. So if you read through the book of Ezra and you get to chapter 6, then you know like, oh, this is when Esther goes down, okay? Uh, Ahasuerus, or Xerxes, is he's the Greek name for him, is uh, king of Persia. He reigns from 45 to 464 BC. And then Artaxerxes, his son, is the one who allows Ezra and Nehemiah to go back to Jerusalem, okay? Which would make him like, maybe like the stepson of Esther, which is kind of cool, kind of interesting. There's a familiar connection there. When Nehemiah is the cupbearer for Artaxerxes, Esther's there. Esther's probably alive when that's all going down. 
So kind of helps to encapsulate like everything that's going on. Because when you read through some of these books in the Bible, you think like, Nehemiah, okay, that happened like hundreds of years, and then Esther happens, and it's like, no, it's all happening at the same time, basically, around the same time period, okay? But it's all centered around the Israelites being set free, and they can now go back home. What we learn from Esther is there is a rather large population of Jews who do not want to go back to Israel, and that's problematic, because that's your land. Persia is not your home. You were enslaved in Persia. Like you're technically, literally, you're not, not just prisoners of war, which is what they started out as. But now you're like, yeah, they get to live there and they get to set up buildings or businesses and all that good stuff. But it's like, you don't have the freedom that you would have if you were back in your homeland. Why wouldn't you want to go back to your homeland? Jerusalem's still in ruins and it's just easier. You know, it's comfortable. It's comfortable in Persia. I got my house, I got my job, I got everything I need, it's good. Well, but your homeland, ah, I know, but it's, it's comfortable right now. Comfort's a killer. Comfort is a killer, literally. It's a killer. Uh, you don't believe me, well, sit around all day long enough and your doctor's going to say, you need to move. <laughs> like, your body's designed to move. Sit around, so to speak, on the Lord Jesus or his calling for you. Eventually, the Holy Spirit's going to come along and say, like, you need to move. you got to get going. Comfort is, it's a trap. And I think it's a very effective trap that the enemy likes to use, within, especially within Christians today. Just get comfortable. Buy into that American dream, right? The house, white picket fence, two and a half kids. How is that possible? I don't know. A dog, cat, whatever. You know, all that stuff. And it's like, is that a dream or is that a nightmare? Because it seems like a trap to me. It seems like a trap. And it's a trap that these Jews were ensnared by. It's time to go home. We don't want to go home. Why not? It's too much work. <laughs> too much. The, the temple's in ruins. It's all destroyed. We'll go back and rebuild it. We don't want to rebuild it. So let's get into verse 1. Verse 1 of Esther it says this, it says, the events happened in the days of King Xerxes, or as yours may say, Ahasuerus, which is correct. They both are right, okay? Who reigned over 127 provinces stretching from India to Ethiopia. It's crazy. From India all the way into the continent of Africa. At that time, Xerxes ruled his empire from his royal throne at the fortress of Susa. In the third year of his reign, he gave a great banquet for all his nobles and his officials. He invited all the military officers of Persia and Media, uh, as well as the princes and nobles of the provinces. The celebration lasted 180 days, six-month-long party. I'm sorry, but look, I, I love parties growing up. I mean, I was, yeah, you name it. If there was a party happening, we were showing up. Like, it didn't matter where it was or anything like that. Uninvited, invited, didn't really matter. Um, we were going to be there. Six months? I'm like, no, no, I don't think so. That's way too long. But there's a reason for this party. This isn't just like, hey, I feel like throwing a party, a celebration. This is kind of an, a maneuver. He, he's leveraging his power and his position to gain some more um, allies, so to speak. Because what we don't have included within this first portion of scripture is the fact that he lost a couple of battles right before the story happened. 
but you had the, the naval battle to the Greeks in Salamis. He, he lost that one. And then there was another one at Plataea where he lost these two battles. And apparently these Greek soldiers that stood up against Xerxes, Hollywood made a movie about it. It's called 300. And so that technically is, they're making a movie off of these events that happened, okay? Where Xerxes, he suffered defeat in those two battles. And then he goes back home tail between his legs kind of a thing. And then he's like, I need to get more allies so I can go and or get my revenge on these Greeks, this Grecian army that would soon, as we know from the book of Daniel, take over. So that's all on the horizon. Like Alexander the Great is not, I mean, he's on the scene, but he's not in power yet. His dad is. Gregory the something, I think is what his name was. But that's all on the horizon for the Persians, the Medes, and the Persians, right? It's an empire that's about to collapse. It's kind of what's happening. But here he is. He has a banquet, the celebration that lasts 180 days. It says a tremendous display of opulent wealth of his empire and the pomp and splendor of his majesty. I like the New Living Translation because it's very colorful in its language and its descriptions of like, he brought out his absolute best for this six-month-long party. I mean, he's really trying to sell himself to these other people. Of like, no, no, look, look how great I am. Look at my riches. Look at my power. Look at, you want to be on my team. You want to be, see all this? This, all this could be yours, right? It's like that perfect sales pitch, okay? Uh, plus he was selling like Tupperware and all sorts of stuff too, right? He's like, he's going for it. He's got a captive audience. It says, when it was all over, the king gave uh, a banquet for all the people. So there was an exclusive party, was it a VIP party, right? Like only certain people can show up to the six-month-long party, but then he's going to throw a week-long party for anybody and everybody, okay? That's where the trouble happens. This is where the, the soap opera begins, okay? This is like the drama, all right? If you're into drama, Book of Esther's for you. It is. It, it just really is. If you don't like drama, well, there's lots of cool action stuff as well, okay? So there's something for everybody in this book. It says, when it was all over, the king gave a banquet for all the people, from the greatest to the least, who were in the fortress of Susa. It lasted for seven days and was held in the courtyard of the palace garden. The court courtyard was beautifully decorated with white cotton curtains, blue hangings, which were fastened with white linen cords and purple ribbons to silver rings embedded in pillar or marble pillars, gold and silver couches stood on a mosaic pavement of uh, porphyry, whatever that is. I didn't even look it up because I was like, I don't care. Um, it's just stuff, furniture stuff. Um, maybe it's some sort of flooring. I don't know. Marble, mother of pearl, um, which is one of my dear friend's favorite sayings when something goes wrong. Um, I always think of him when I see that. Um, mother of pearl um, and other costly stones. Okay, so verse six is very, very descriptive and one of the most colorful verses in the entire Bible, right? So you can imagine walking into this courtyard. It's a garden. And I mean, they, it is decked out. It's, I don't know who his party planner is, but they did a really good job. Okay, they did a really good job. Here's your destination wedding venue or whatever you want. But like, it is like the best has been brought out. Drinks, verse 7, were served in gold goblets of many designs, and there was an abundance of royal wine, which means it's the best wine, reflecting the king's generosity. 
by edict of the king, no limits were placed on the drinking, for the king had instructed all his palace officials to serve each man as much as he wanted. So this is just like an all-out, all-you-can-eat-and-drink buffet party, and just why? Why would he want? Because, again, remember, 180-day party is to gain allies. Probably the seven-day party with his people is to gain their trust and get them to buy in. Because, well, you're looking at a loser. Militarily speaking, this guy's, I mean, you may have been great at one point in time, but you just lost twice. And you, I mean, you could probably feel the tension in the empire. This other army is rising, and they are, I mean, they're, they're like very aggressive. And so now he's got to probably win over, well, the population. He needs the popular vote. He needs, he needs all that stuff. So what is he going to do? Just give him stuff. Like, give him free stuff. Free, all you can drink wine, all you can eat food. Come hang out in my garden, which I would never let you hang out in. But come, I want to treat you as an equal. Why? So I get your vote. So I can get your vote. And then on day eight, I don't care about you. I don't care. Classic leadership. Classic leadership. I'll get what I need from you. Then the next day, I'll kick you to the curb. And I'll have you show up when I need you again. That's an unfortunate side. That's what you call, I've read tons of leadership books. That's what you call bad leadership, okay? Like on the chapter of bad leadership, that's how they start. When you use people to get what you want, that's a bad leader. So he's throwing a party, not because he loves his people, but because he loves himself. So as the wine is flowing, and nothing good comes from unlimited or bottomless goblets, okay? Nothing good ever comes from unlimited amounts of alcohol, okay? Only bad things will ever happen with unlimited amounts of alcohol. I'm going to tell you that right now. I mean, I've been around alcohol literally my entire life. I've never heard a good story where excess alcohol has been involved. True. Okay? And here's the classic one. The Bible even drops one right there almost in the very middle of your Bible. It's like, hey, um, if you need a practical application point, (laughs) uh, the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Self-control. So they're drinking, everybody's partying as much as you want, just completely given over to your desires. Verse 9, at the same time, Queen Vashti gave a banquet for the women in the royal palace of King Xerxes, which is a common practice back then. The men would have their party, and the women would have their party. And that even happens to this day in certain areas. Actually, it happens today in, in our, even in our own country. Kids, you know how it goes. You show up, there's like maybe somebody's having a birthday party. All the ladies are over here and all the guys are over here. It just, I don't know if that's a natural thing or what, but that just seems to be what happens. This, it was customary for these guys back then, and which was probably a smart thing, especially when the alcohol is flowing. You may want to keep the women away from the men, okay? So, because it doesn't take long before... Poor decisions start being made. Queen Vashti, uh, interesting thing about her, she's the great-granddaughter of King Nebuchadnezzar. So there's another Daniel connection right there. So one commentator said that she grew up in a royal family, and that's no discredit for Queen Vashti. I actually admire Queen Vashti in this story. 
there's not enough about her. I mean, we go through the book of Esther. Esther is Esther, meaning star uh, in Aramaic. Um, she is the star of the story, okay? She just is. Uh, but Vashti is like, I mean, you have to give her props for taking a stand. Because what, the stand that she's about to take literally, I mean, could cost her her life. And in one sense, it kind of does. I mean, she stays alive physically, but she no longer has a purpose at all within the Persian Empire. None. So, Vashti's given her party. Xerxes has given his party. Verse 10, it says, On the seventh day of the feast, when King Xerxes was, high, was in high spirits because of the wine. Do you, you need a translation for that? Um, the New Living Translation is just so gentle, so nice about that. He was drunk. He was wasted. Seven days of drinking wine. He is inebriated. High spirits because of the wine. Uh, he was merry, as uh, maybe the King James says, I believe, right? Like, he was merry. They were merry. That's a really weird way to say just drunk, okay? That's where he is. Again, nothing good. Comes from a, a mind that is no longer functioning properly. Ephesians chapter 5 says, don't be drunk with wine, but be what? Filled with the Spirit. Don't be intoxicated. Don't allow yourself to become intoxicated or controlled by something else other than the Spirit of God. Now, that's for Christians. This dude's not a Christian. I get it. Don't be drunk with wine. Don't be drunk with alcohol. Don't let something take control over you. If you're going to be under the influence of anything, let it be the Holy Spirit. Safest bet. Your safest bet. Okay, so he's married with wine. He told the seven uh, eunuchs, seven eunuchs, um, you know what a eunuch is? Do I need to explain? They serve the king. There's a procedure that happens for these poor guys that, because uh, <laughs> he's got ladies and he doesn't want his eunuchs messing with his ladies. And so he physically damages them, these men, uh, in ways that they could never be a threat to him concerning his women, if you know where I'm going, okay? Just you look up eunuchs, you'll be fine. Don't Google that, though, because you're going to, I don't know what images are going to pop up, but that's just, don't do it. Open a book. It's safer. Open a book and just read from black and white, okay? Um, he's got seven of these guys who attend him, who they serve him, and we're going to get their names. Uh, Mehuman, uh, Biztha, Harbona, Bigtha, Bagtha, Zethar, and Carcass. That's, that's, why would you name your kid Carcass? Um, come on. <laughs> so you got these guys. He tells them, go and get the queen. Go get Queen Vashti. Bring her to me with the royal crown on her head. It's interesting. It's like, I want her dressed up. I want her dressed up. He wanted the nobles and all the men to gaze on her beauty, for she was a very beautiful woman, right? So This is just, uh, it's an abuse of power, is what it is, okay? Let's call it what it is. This is an abuse of power. Uh, He is the king. He has a beautiful wife. She is a beautiful wife, but she shouldn't be a trophy wife in that sense of like, you're, you know, sporting her around and like, hey, look at my wife, look at my wife. That's like, I, I don't think any husband should do that. You should be proud of how beautiful your spouse is, but you don't need to parade your spouse around and display her for all to see. I think that's actually a bad husband, okay? I'm not saying, like, can't post a picture of your wife on Facebook and be like, hey, this is my wife. I love my wife. That's sweet. That's beautiful. That's great. But when it comes to, like, this kind of, this kind of reeks of just, like, grossness, 
This isn't like, oh man, I love Vashi so much. I'm so proud of her. Hey, Vashi, come in here. I want, hey, how about you have a conversation with us guys? He's like, no, 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 none of that. That's no. Have her come in here and have her take off her veil. Have her expose her face. Because in the Persian culture, the women should be veiled. They hide their beauty. They hide their beauty. Very beautiful people. Very beautiful people. Culturally, she's supposed to have that veil on. He's like, no, no, come in here and unveil yourself. And for them, I mean, my goodness, that's like to the level of posting inappropriate pictures of your spouse. Like it's that degree for them. And she's like, I don't think so. <laughs> I like this lady. I don't know who she, I, I don't know anything about her other than, you know, she's the great or the granddaughter or great granddaughter of uh, Nebuchadnezzar. But he's like, go get my wife, bring her in here, tell her to put that crown on because uh, I'm going to show her off to all these people. Verse 12, but when they conveyed the king's order to Queen Vashti, she refused to come. This made the king furious, and he burned with anger. Why? Because his pride was hurt. Because his pride was hurt. Because he's got all these bigwigs in his presence. And they hear him issue this order to these eunuchs to go get his wife. And then they come back, and they're like, um, she said no. <laughs> and he's like, what? You don't tell the king no. You don't tell the king, and you don't tell the king no when he's entertaining these bigwigs. And he's got this great big sales pitch to them. And they're like, and so the people in the audience are going to be, they're probably thinking through their heads like, this guy can't rule his home. Why should we trust him to rule a nation? He can't control his wife. And unfortunately, in some cultures around this time, women were seen as lesser value than men. And that's an unfortunate thing. And I hope you know what we love about the Bible is the Bible is very clear on your worth and your value. Men and women have value in Jesus Christ. Men and women have the same value in Jesus Christ, actually, because it was both man and woman that was created in his image, going back to the beginning. In Christianity... All those barriers and walls and division and stuff, torn down by the gospel. Whether it's gender issues between, is a man more important or more valuable than a woman? Or is this, this ethnicity more important than this other ethnicity? The gospel, and really Jesus coming and dying on the cross and raising from the grave, he obliterated those walls. And he says, Christianity equals this. You're a new creation. No longer Jew. No longer Gentile. No longer male, no longer female, right? And he's not erasing your identity or your DNA. He's just saying, like, we're a family in Christ. We're all on the same level, same ground, same level. But that's not how it always has been for cultures. That's not even how it is in, in a lot of places today. But just so you know, the Bible does speak to those things. And it's very clear on those things. Men matter. Women matter. And even when our culture reverses, because we swing from one, pin, one side to the other, right? Where we go from like where women didn't seem to matter all that much. And now we come over to this other side where our culture lives today. And we're like, do men even exist? I watch a lot of commercials and I'm like, where are the guys at? Why are there no men? You watch sitcoms and I'm like, why do they have all these idiots portraying guys? They're morons. And they're mostly cowards. 
And I'm like, well, where's the balance? You're, the world you live in, this system you live in, does not want you to have balance. Our God is the God of the unexpected. He takes impossible situations and flips them on their heads to make a way for His people. The book of Esther is a sparkling example of how God moves in unexpected and miraculous ways, like Haman, who made a gallows for Mordecai but ended up hanging on them himself. Things looked pretty bleak for the Jews of Esther's time, right up until everything changed. When you look at all of the impossible things in your life, remember that there's a God who is greater than every situation that you've ever faced or ever will face. And after He's flipped your impossible situation on its head, it'll be your turn to celebrate and remember the greatness of our God. You've been listening to Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. This is a ministry out of Calvary Galveston in Galveston, Texas. If you're around, we would love to see you Sunday morning at 10 or Wednesday evenings at 7. Our services are pretty laid back, so come just as you are. And if you can't make it, you can always head over to Facebook and find our live stream. If you're looking to donate to a worthy cause, consider Bread for the Broken, where we help people find hope and new life in Jesus. You can find donation information as well as messages and more on our website at breadforthebroken.com. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. Well, we're out of time. We hope you found new hope in today's message. We loved being a part of your day, and we'll see you right here again next time on Bread for the Broken.